When I look in the mirror, I don't see wrinkles. When I look in the mirror, I see hair on my head, not my shoulder. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. The Fountain of Truth about what? Well, the Fountain of Truth about aging. And you know that we talk all the time about the protocols for successful aging. And what do we mean by successful aging? Well, one, that we're going to live longer. Uh, Beat the Clock used to be a great show when I was a kid. I don't know about you guys. Um, Those of you who are younger don't even know what I'm talking about, but it was a lot of fun. You had to accomplish a task within a very quick period of time. And if you could do it, you won a prize. It was called Beat the Clock. Well, here in the longevity world, we're all trying to beat the clock. We are given, we are given certain statistics about what our longevity should be, and we thumb our nose at it, and we say, no, we are going to push that envelope. So we talk a lot about lifespan. We talk a lot about health span, and we look at certain things like what's our nutrition like? Are we exercising? Do we have life purpose? These are all the things and all the representative hosts and guests that we have on this show. But lately, there's a new, 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 really important part of successful aging that keeps creeping up on that list. I see it over and over again, and it is sleep. In fact, in the hotel industry, they're actually making a lot of progress in how they do their beds because they know that boomer travel is where the money is, and they know that boomer sleep isn't so great. And if they can increase that, they can increase their revenues. That's how deep the issue of sleep can be. And so, of course, we've got an expert for you. We want to talk about that because I bet that this is in your life all the time. We have with us Dr. Kathy Goldstein. Uh, she is on the faculty of the Sleep Disorders Center in the great state of Michigan. And I'll tell you that she actually treats people. She's not a, an ivory tower, but she is a researcher as well. And she treats people and looks, does studies on various conditions that you may have, like sleep apnea. You've all either had that or you know somebody who does. Insomnia, restless leg syndrome, uh, circadian rhythm disorders and disruptions. And they're very important as we age because, as she will tell you, uh, it's a little harder to get the best kind of sleep. So thank you, Dr. Goldstein, for being with us today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. All right. So let's just dive in first to uh, the vernacular that we sometimes fall into, that just because we're older, we don't sleep as well. Is it true? That's the first question. And do we actually need less sleep than people who are younger? Well, as we get older, our sleep does deteriorate, and that's oftentimes due to the fact that sleep disorders become more common with aging. So obstructive sleep apnea or repetitive closure of the upper airway during sleep becomes much more likely to occur as we get older, and insomnia symptoms start to become pronounced. Restless legs, this feeling of needing to move your legs while you're at rest that can disrupt sleep, all of these things are going to be more likely as we get older, and they're going to deteriorate sleep. Also, as you get older, you have more medical conditions. So that water pill your doctor gave you for your high blood pressure, that could interrupt your sleep. Pain, all of these things. So it's kind of a perfect storm between a combination of increased likelihood of sleep disorders 
and other medical disorders that are going to make sleeping harder as we age. And the problem is we don't need less sleep when we get older. We still need about seven hours or so. It's just more difficult to get that, and so we really have to be cognizant about how we're treating our sleep as we get older. Now, we're going to be talking about a position paper, uh, research, uh, and understanding that we would like you to have that's in more depth, let's say, than most consumers have, about artificial intelligence uh, and Dr. Goldstein's work in that field and improving what we know about sleep so we can improve our sleep. But I want to unpack one thing. We all have this happening. In fact, you might be interested, Dr. Goldstein, that a lot of new buildings for people who are going to go into active adult communities, have two bedrooms, not one. Why? Because one person is probably snoring so loud, usually you know who the guy, but not always, um, that they can't sleep together anymore. So people used to sleep together. They married 40, 50 years. Now they're separate beds because it's too loud. So we know sleep apnea, but the restless leg syndrome, at first everybody thought, it was something just to buy, get you to buy a new pill or worry about something new. But it's very real. Explain that a little bit because if it comes on you, you really don't know what's going on in your body. And it's useful for people to understand that. Absolutely. So individuals who have restless leg syndrome experience what we call this urge phenomenon. So they have an uncomfortable feeling in their legs at rest that gives them this urge to move. And it's oftentimes at least partially removed when you get up and move around. That improves the symptoms. We see this happens not only just at rest, so not only when you're sitting, watching a movie, having a meal, but it's more pronounced in the evening time. So it has what we call a circadian rhythm. So right before the sleep period, restless leg symptoms will increase. And even if you change time zones because your body clock is set to your time zone of origin, whenever you are having your restless leg symptoms at home, you'll have them in the new time zone. And that's how we know it's circadian. And this causes a lot of problems with quality of life. And this is what I really chat with my patients about because people don't come to me and say, I have a circadian controlled problem with my leg discomfort. They come to right. me and say, I can't have dinner with my grandchildren. I can't make it through a movie or a television show. I can't get through the theater. I have to leave and walk around. And that's really problematic. And then in addition to that, because the symptoms increase and increase and increase up to the bedtime period, it often gives people difficulty falling asleep. And that's what brings them to my clinic. Yeah, you know, I'm going to actually skew this a little younger now, uh, Dr. Goldstein. Uh, yeah. And this is one of the reasons that I want to have this topic, particularly also my blog, a shameless plug. Everybody knows we have a blog, Aging for Beginners. I got my editor <laughs> email this morning, which said, by the way, you're going weekly now. So this is a really, really popular blog with younger people. Uh, and one of those younger people is my son. He's 38 years old, and he's an executive. So what's going on? Uh, we have an opportunity to be global, and he's always on a plane. Ah. And he's always in di- <laughs> yeah, aha. Uh-huh. And he's always in different time zones. And because many, many boomers, there's a whole world out there called mature travel. Boomers are on planes, too. Coronavirus has really killed the industry, but only temporarily. We'll all be back on a plane. And if we're younger and we're, we're, we're movers and shakers in that company, we're on planes. 
And if we've got that restless leg syndrome, this could not just happen while we're talking to our grandkids. It could happen while we're in the most important meeting presentation you know, of our career. So this, this is serious stuff. And my question is, what do we do about it? So let's, we're going to unpack AI, artificial intelligence, for the rest of our show. But just in the last minute or two of our segment here, for sleep apnea, we're always seeing things on TV. Put this mask on this or that. But, but for the leg syndrome, I don't see too much. A pill once in a while. What's the, what's the, the latest of what we can do to help ourselves? So restless leg syndrome, you probably don't see much about it in the media because it's an incredibly challenging uh, condition to treat. And it's not just treated by sleep specialists, but oftentimes general neurologists. Um, So the easiest way to treat restless leg syndrome is with behavioral things. So we want to kind of correct those and get those off the table. So number one, are you keeping a regular sleep-wake pattern? Are you not only getting enough hours of sleep? so at least seven to eight hours, but are you also regularly timing that sleep so you can keep a regular internal rhythm? That will reduce restless leg symptoms, making sure that you're not sleep-deprived and that your sleep is regular. Also, there's there's substances that we all love to enjoy, legal substances like Uh, caffeine, over-the-counter antihistamines that claim they get sold as sleep pills, right? So um, all of these PMs, those are antihistamine medications. Those are things that we typically use for allergies, and they're incredibly sedating, so they get marketed as sleep pills. Guess what? Those increase restless leg symptoms, and you're taking them at the most critical time in the evening before bed. So those are things that you want to take off the table before well, seeking medical all, treatment I've, for your restless legs. I'm so relieved because when you said there are certain things that are legal substances, I thought you were going to say no wine. And then we would have, <laughs> then we would have to end this entire conversation. <laughs> but, all right. So good, good. Things that, I, that don't bother me so much to give up. But it's very important to know that because we're all misled. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, artificial intelligence. What this show is about is breakthroughs. And you can't have breakthroughs without using cutting-edge technology and cutting-edge learning. And that's what we're going to talk about soon. And if you've got a sleep problem or you know anyone who does, or you might have one in the future and you don't want to have it, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit. Because I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate. For my age, da 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 da, da 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 da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit, because I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age, da 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 da. And hello, hello, hello once again. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. So a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, first of all, of course, please do go to our website, generationboldradio.com. Generationboldradio.com. Give us your email address, and you will get our Monday Heads Up on Aging newsletter, where anything that's new, anything that's useful, when it comes to aging, will be in there, our latest podcasts, and, of course, the latest blogs. Uh, we have a wonderful, wonderful store. You can go to our store. And you can see some of the things that have really enhanced my life. 
Uh, so all we need there is your email address at generationvaultradio.com. Second piece of, uh, let's say, sh- I call it shameless promotion, but I'm very proud of it. My book, my book has been featured in Next Avenue. And Next Avenue has 40 million readers. It's unbelievable. Uh, it is the PBS newsletter on uh, for the older adult. And uh, my latest book is The Retirement Income Explosion. And they took the entire chapter on taxes. They did a great job with an excerpt. I think a better job than the chapter, but don't tell anybody. So go ahead and look at Next Avenue online. It's absolutely free. And um, and take a look at my article. But a link to it will also be in the Monday newsletter coming up. So if you want to get uh, easy access to important information on retirement and aging, let us know with your uh, with your email at generationboldradio.com. Now, speaking about important information, we're here with Dr. Kathy Goldstein. And Dr. Kathy Goldstein sees patients. She does research. She's a real influencer in the area of sleep disorders. She's with the Sleep Disorder Center in Michigan, but, but she's also the chair of the Artificial Intelligence Committee of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Now, you may not know that there is an American Academy of Sleep Medicine, but 11,000 people and, and, and sleep centers do know it's a big, big deal. So if you want to look at uh, that up, you could look at AASM.org, and that's important. But uh, what Dr. Kathy tells us to do is also look at sleepfoundation.org. Very easy to remember, sleepfoundation.org. All right. Okay, Chairman. AI, <laughs> artificial, yeah, I know, artificial intelligence. First, let's unpack for the for our listeners what you mean by artificial intelligence, and then we'll go into how it impacts our sleep and the breakthroughs that we that may occur because of it. Absolutely. So, artificial intelligence is when computers perform tasks that typically in the past have required human execution, and the way that computers can do this is with algorithms. And for a long time, the algorithms that drove any automated task had to be made by humans, right? They were hand-designed, hand-programmed algorithms. And what's changed over the course of time is that now with advanced computing power, data storage, we have algorithms that are driven by something called machine learning. And machine learning algorithms learn from the data. And that means instead of a human having to tweak them, having to hand program, they self-adjust and become better and better and better at making predictions from data and finding patterns within that data. So we're not just thinking about robots when we think AI. We're thinking about algorithms making predictions and understanding things about the data we feed them. Yep. So let me unpack that a little bit and broaden it because I really want our listeners to know how important this is in their health, in their own health, and how it's going to preserve our longevity. So I'll give you the general, and then we're going to talk specifically about sleep. So I work with a group, um, and I I invite you to the conference. It's called the Metabesity Conference. It's coming up in Washington, D.C. in October. It'll be the third one. Metabesity stands for the metabolism and also uh, our inflammation system, all of which cause most of the diseases of aging. And if we can capture and we can uh, control some of those biologic things in the body, 
we actually go a long way to curing or delaying or preventing cancer and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And so it's a group of scientific researchers like self, uh, Dr. Goldstein, that are looking at what really happens in the body, not the silos of diseases that we try to fit in. All right. So what do they do? They use artificial intelligence, just like you're talking about. Exactly. You explained it so well to uh, look at the data and learn from the data without human intervention. And that accelerates the learning so many, so many years that we're really on the brink of big, big breakthroughs in the field of metabolism and in the field of inflammation and therefore in the field of, of aging diseases. Now, I'm assuming that something parallel to this is going on in the world of sleep. So tell us about that now, because you're in the forefront of that, being the chairperson of the AI committee, uh, as we've explained it. So where are we at and where are we going? Great. So the way I want to start this conversation is to educate people a little bit about our cornerstone of sleep monitoring and clinical sleep testing, which is something called a polysomnogram or an overnight sleep study. Many listeners may have had this because sleep disorders are so common, and this is typically what your doctor will order if you have a problem with your sleep. And when someone goes in for an overnight sleep study, they get hooked up to a myriad of physiological monitors. So EEG leads that monitor their brain waves, muscular monitoring at the eyes and the face and the legs. The cardiac system is monitored with an EKG. Your oxygen levels are monitored with a pulse oximeter. We monitor your airflow so we can see how you're breathing during sleep. And then all of these parameters are monitored over an eight-hour period. So this is a ton of rich data, right? And my patients will come out of that sleep disorder and they'll ask me, they'll say, Dr. Goldstein, what did you see? Have you figured out the problem? And what can mm -hmm. I tell them? You have sleep apnea, yes or no? This is uh -huh. how many minutes of sleep you got. You moved your legs, yes or no? These are the different stage breakdowns, and that information is unfortunately not as valuable as we would like. So basically what we're doing is we're reducing this rich physiological data from an individual that's suffering to a few different numbers that just don't correlate with outcomes. Now, so with this may AI, be why we're still, we're still in the processes of wearing masks and um, you know, these are the protocols that are with us today that I think in a few years, maybe a few months, going to be primitive. So now AI is taking all this to a different level and explain that to us. Exactly right. So the first application that people saw for AI in sleep is like, well, great. Once we get all these signals back, we have a respiratory technician that goes through and scores and stages all that data. Is it REM sleep or deep sleep? Is that apnea? Is it normal breathing? And that takes them up to two and a half hours. It takes a really long time to do it right. So the first thing people thought we could use AI for in sleep is to go ahead and make software programs to do that or help the technician do that to speed up the process. And that's great. And manufacturers are continuing to work to that process. But that's a logistical benefit, right? So how is this really going to improve health? And that's what I want to get at. So, so what we're going to do is, uh, Dr. Goldstein, we're going to give them a cliffhanger here. 
because sure. that's what we want to do. We're going to go on to our next segment. We're going to devote it to what is the uh, health benefit right there. I mean, that's how you get your funding. That's how you get your, the attention of the public. Uh, it's right. not only efficiency, which you mentioned. We, we get that. We get that the efficiency is there. But the AI and sleep health benefits yet to come. Don't you go anywhere. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate. And hello, hello, hello. Once again, this is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. I have just a lot of really, really great things happening uh, recently, and a lot of very sad things. I have to tell you that I was very excited to go to the Patient Safety Science and Technology Conference in California. Uh, President Clinton was speaking. I was going to learn a lot for you and your health, and guess what? They canceled it because of the coronavirus. This is happening around us everywhere. And pretty soon in my blog, which is now a, um, a weekly blog, Aging for Beginners, we will be covering what you could do, the best you could do, with, in, with regard to any kind of epidemic or pandemic. And I'm telling it from the heart because what most people don't know about me is that I've had typhoid fever. I go all around the world. I went to Africa, and I did get typhoid fever. It did not stop me from going back to Africa, but it's no picnic. So I'm telling you about this kind of thing and the protections that I now use from personal experience. The other great thing is my new book is excerpted in um, Next Avenue. That is the largest blog for people uh, who are over 50, Next Avenue, other than the ARP. And I am told it will also be in Forbes and Market Watch, and that is the retirement income explosion. Uh, have more, spend less, live better. And what they chose to excerpt is my uh, my tax chapter, because every chapter is not the same old stuff. It's really new things that people don't realize they need to know in the age of longevity. Now, in the age of longevity, you also have to get some sleep. And that is why we have here, if you want to live longer, you need to sleep better, by the way. It's one of the seven big things in successful aging. And Dr. Kathy Goldstein is with us. Uh, she is on the faculty of the Sleep Disorder Center. Uh, she is also the chairperson of, uh, of um, Artificial Intelligence Committee of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. And she tells us if you want to read her findings, if you want to read about the breakthroughs that AI is having an impact on your sleep, you'll just go to the website, aasm.org. AASM.org, and that's the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. All right, so we've unpacked this, uh, Dr. Goldstein, that sleep is important, that it can diminish as we age, that we still need our seven hours, that um, that we need to take data that we get from each individual at the sleep center. We need to analyze it, and that AI is making it faster. But what you pointed out is it's more than that. There are health benefits here, and we don't know what they are. So we can't champion AI. If you tell us, we can all raise our flag and let our AI flag fly. So what is mm-hmm. the health benefit? Tell us. 
So AI is going to allow us really to personalize healthcare for our patients. And let me talk about some sleep examples of that. So we talked about the sleep study and all this rich data, and then I come out and say, you have sleep apnea or you don't. With AI tools, not only can I give you a yes, no, and a number, I might be able to get to the bottom of why you have obstructive sleep apnea. Is it the anatomy of your back of your throat? Is it because you've put on too much weight over the years? Is it how your nervous system controls keeping your airway open? Is it how deep your body sleeps? These are things that AI can tell us, and why is that important? It's not just important from a curiosity standpoint, but it is important from a treatment standpoint. So what do we do now? If you have sleep apnea, what do people get? They get a CPAP machine. Almost right. every single person, and the reason why is we know it's effective for most, and we know it's safe because research is based on averages. But if I know the cause of your sleep apnea by an AI analysis of your sleep study, maybe I could say, hey, you know what? This predicts that you're going to do really well with a dental appliance, or you actually would have a really great surgical outcome, or you might even have an opportunity to try a new medication that's out. So people get the right treatment in the right patient at the right time as opposed to this one-size-fits-all management. And that's really where we want to move healthcare. And, you and know, another... it is moving that way. I just want to say that we talk a lot about uh, Dr. Goldstein prescription drugs, and we call them designer drugs, where people are now, particularly in other countries, uh, more than the U.S., um, because the FDA doesn't exactly uh, look at designer drugs, but they're beginning to do that. They look at people's allergy, they look at people's uh, genetics, their DNA, and they prescribe and compound a pill specifically for that person. And you're saying AI may allow uh, us to have protocols for better sleep that is very, very individualized. So I want to bring that out as one major health benefit. Okay, now you're going to give us yet another. Absolutely. So there's another disorder. It's less common, but it's something we see on sleep studies, and it's called REM sleep behavior disorder. It's a disorder where people act out their dreams. You may not have heard of it, but what is incredibly important about this disorder is when people have this, there is an incredibly high likelihood that they will develop Parkinson's disease or other neurological disorders that are fatal, cause dementia, are absolutely catastrophic. Now, how do we know who goes on from REM sleep behavior disorder to one of these diseases, and how can we prevent that? Right now, we can't. So we are seeing something before the manifestation of a disease on a sleep study that we could intervene on, and we, number one, don't have an intervention, and we don't know which patients are at the highest risk until they start displaying subtle symptoms of the disorder. So what AI is going to help us do is get to these things before the damage has occurred to take these predecessors and allow us to intervene then. And that's why research in this area is going to be so crucial to move forward. So my, my question, uh, maybe not everybody would ask this question, but I'll tell you why I'm asking it in a moment. You mentioned Parkinson's, which is a, a neurological uh, issue. Is uh, Alzheimer's also possibly pre-predictive from what you're talking about, or is that not on the radar right now? 
Not from this REM sleep behavior disorder condition, Mm -hmm. but we do think that poor sleep in general, not getting enough sleep, certain patterns of sleep could increase the risk of Alzheimer's dementia down the road. So sleep in general is relevant for Alzheimer's. And I'll tell you why I asked the question, and it's something the consumer ought to know, the listener ought to know. Look, all these things take money. They take funding. uh, They take donations. They take foundations to give money. They take the government to, to give money. And right now, and I'm going to say it in a funny way, Alzheimer's is hot. It's hot. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody wants to get rid of it. Uh, and so the National Institute of Health that gives money, the, the government arm that gives money for research, is giving a ton of money for Alzheimer's. They're not giving a ton of money for cognitive diseases in general or aging in general. So I always have to ask, who's going to pay? And uh, Alzheimer's is very big. Parkinson's is a little bit less. Nobody, n- nobody is ignoring it in any way. But uh, sleep, sleep in general, and research in sleep in general ought to be funded in general because it is one of the five or six major things that affects everybody on earth. So great, great work on that and great connection that you're making. Now, in terms of other health benefits, um, let's just talk about dreams for a moment. I've, I've noticed a change. I've noticed that personally I either don't remember my dreams at all or they're extremely vivid. Whereas when I was younger, I would have a mild dream a lot, and I would remember it in a, in a mild way. Uh, is anything, any of the data showing that as we get older, we have different dream patterns, and therefore the REM issues are more difficult for us? So that's something that that's really difficult to know because the whole question, so people think when they remember their dreams, that's indicative of that they're dreaming, which takes place in stage REM sleep. So just because you do or do not remember your dreams doesn't necessarily tell us anything about your REM sleep. So you can remember your dreams because you had really condensed REM sleep that night. You can remember your dreams because you have depression. You can remember your dreams because you were interrupted in your stage REM sleep or had an apnea. You can remember your dreams because they become more vivid or upsetting due to certain medications. So it really just doesn't give us a lot of information, but it does bring up one thing that I would love to talk about, which is where does most of our sleep take place? It takes place well, in the usually. home. Yeah, in the it home. It takes place exactly. in the home, right? Or you said, you know, with Boomer Travel, it takes place in a hotel room. But it doesn't take place where? It doesn't take place in the sleep lab, which is what I've been talking about. So yeah, sleep yeah, takes yeah. place in the home. And that is the most important place for us to understand sleep and to intervene on sleep. And there's been a turn of the tides in the last, you know, five to ten years where Sleep in the home is no longer a mystery because everybody's tracking their sleep. I was going to say we're wearing bands. Yes, (laughs) right? Everyone's wearing Fitbits. Um, Apple Watch has third-party apps that you can download. So, you know, this is really going to be a breakthrough area for sleep because that's what I want to know about sleep, not sleep in the sleep lab, but sleep at home. And here's why. 
we so AI can be used for this purpose for the very easy use case of we use AI algorithms. That's what's behind all these Fitbit and the Aura Ring and all of these things to predict you're in wake, you're asleep, you're in deep sleep. But I want people to kind of go past that. So I think sleep is likely to be an incredible predictor of an impending health event. So what about a stroke, a bleed, a heart attack? What if there are subtle sleep changes in the days leading up to those events? AI could identify signatures in those sleep changes from wearable devices, and potentially we could intervene before they happen. The goal in medicine is to get away from this damage control and right. to have real-time interventions before we get there. So, you know, these devices are they're collecting heart rate over the course of the night. I mean, it's incredible the patterns that might exist that could predict an impending health event. And instead of you going to the ER, once that occurs, what if your doctor could call you? There's an alert that says, hey, we got to get you in. Something's going on here before it happens. So, Dr. Goldstein, we're going to talk about this whole confluence of telehealth, uh, AI, prevention, and an emphasis on prevention rather than cure. It is really rocking the world of longevity. Don't you guys go anywhere. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. You may think that I'm full of it, And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bowl, the Fountain of Truth. I am so delighted to be able to have this show and get you information that you'd never be able to get anywhere else. One of the ways, one of the ways that I think I'm helping you guys is I ferret out a couple of products that I think are great. And we offer them to you. If you go to our website, generationboldradio.com, you'll see some of the things that we really love. So let's hear about them right now. Hooray, our Generation Bold store is up and running. Just visit our website, generationboldradio.com, for access to unique products and services like luggage forwarding for your next trip, gorgeous Brazos canes and hiking sticks, Wander Club charms to commemorate your every adventure. I handpicked everything in the store to add fun and ease to your life. It makes a great gift, it's priced right, and it's of the finest quality whatever has been selected. All these items truly enhance my life, and I want you to discover them as well. Visit GenerationBoldRadio.com and see for yourself. And I want to thank all of you who have participated in Wonder Club by buying a $4 charm commemorating a country or city or national park you went to because for every $4, one child who is hungry will get a meal. So it's been it's been very rewarding. So now let us get back to Dr. Um, uh, Goldstein. We're talking about sleep, Dr. Goldstein, and, and you gave us a very, very heady look at what's possible. We're at home. We have our Fitbits or other competing uh, data uh, analysts on our wrist. We know a lot. We can plug that in now through telehealth. 
to our friends, our families. If we're in assisted living, it can go to the administrator these days. Nursing homes, it goes to the administrators so that we, we're monitored. And we can do it voluntarily if we're active adults at home. Uh, the information goes into a database. Now, you are on the front lines of the research and using artificial intelligence for this. What's your vision of how this data could be used? Absolutely. I, I just really want to see this data as a way of showing us areas for improvement in people's sleep before disease develops. Um, so things like obstructive sleep apnea, we know how to diagnose them and treat them, but things like optimizing sleep for cognitive performance, physical performance, reduction of disease down the road, that's what we really have to get at. Sleep regularity is becoming um, a very, very important contributor to sleep, so not just getting enough sleep, but making sure that your sleep is timed consistently, and that's an immediate area I see where we could use this because we don't know anything about sleep regularity from one night in a sleep lab. We have to look at sleep night to night to night. And I would imagine you know, kind of a you know feedback arm here when people's sleep is deteriorating in regularity to get them back on track. And I think these are the things that really will improve preventative health and keep aging in the home and prevent disease before they start. So uh, Dr. Goldstein just mentioned the magic word, preventative health. That is not the strong suit in the United States. The strong suit in the United States is cure. If you're sick, come here. If you want to prevent diseases, it's not as preventive here out the way we look at our medicine. So, and it's changing. And it's, I think changing for the better and what you're talking about is, is part of that. So let me just, in the few minutes left on our show, let's morph down to prevent health and self-care. Self-care. So we want to sleep better. What should we do? I mean, I see infomercials that sell expensive pillows every two minutes on the television. Maybe it is our bedding. Maybe we should do something about that. Should we take the melatonin or whatever it is they're selling in supplements? Um, do we meditate a couple of minutes? In other words, f- from the scientific point of view and your vast experience, what could make a difference in our own self-care when it comes to sleep? So I have a very easy acronym for this that's free, basically, and it's called REST because okay. we all want more REST. So yeah. the R in REST is recognition. So everyone recognizes when they sleep poorly. But what I want people to recognize is, you know, oftentimes when I start digging into what's causing somebody's insomnia, there's all these little bad habits that come out. Well, maybe I shouldn't have the TV in my room or, well, I am sleeping with my dog or, well, you know, you mentioned wine and, you know, a little bit of wine is okay, but, you know, too much alcohol is going to really fragment that latter portion of the sleep period. So people know what's bad for their sleep, but sometimes they present for medical care for insomnia and they haven't really recognized the relevance of some of their habits. The next letter in that acronym REST is E, and that's environment, and this is so easy. So we know that part of the process of falling asleep at night is a cooling of the body temperature, and so making sure that your sleep environment is in the high high 60s at night, 
Um, there's not sound pollution. There's not light pollution. Use blackout shades if you live in an urban environment and there's light pollution from the streets. Use white noise. All of these things can help create this sleep-facilitating environment. Your bedroom should be a sanctuary. The S is shut down. So particularly people who are still in the workforce, they, they come to me and they say, I have no time. I need to go from 60 to zero. I need a pill. I need a trick. I need something to take me from typing a presentation on my computer to deep, slow-wave sleep. And that is not how human biology works. We don't function in dichotomies. We are smooth transitions. And in the evening, there has to be a period of shutdown where the lights are dimmed, where stressful or activating activities are stopped. You mentioned meditation, which I'm a huge proponent of. Meditation before sleep is a great way to trigger that wind-down process. And because humans are such conditioned beings, all of these things Things, having this bedtime wind-down routine and purpose where you dim the lights, you get ready for bed, you meditate, those are all cues that it's time to sleep. And that's a huge help with transitioning from your daytime wakefulness into the sleep period. And then the next letter is T, and that's timing. I mentioned the circadian rhythm a few times throughout this discussion, and that's our internal timing system. And that timing system has evolved to work in concert with natural light, the rising and setting of the sun. And so what do we do now? We have artificial light, and even worse, we have little portable suns that we take into our sleep environment at any time of the day. And this is really causing a desynchrony between when our internal clock wants us to sleep and when we actually can sleep. And one of the best things people can do to really stabilize that light-dark cycle, in addition to dimming the lights during your shutdown period, is to time your sleep and wake up at the same time every day or at least within an hour or two is absolutely critical to stabilizing your circadian rhythm. And I think we haven't even realized the health benefits that this can have and the health problems that can be caused by irregular sleep. And we see that come out in shift workers, but there's likely much more modest manifestations of that in people who don't keep regular sleep-wake times. Well, we are so uh, so happy that we're learning. We're learning all the time. Artificial intelligence is not something to be afraid of. It is, as you say, machine learning, so it can learn from what is learned and make it faster for us to prevent and delay the diseases of aging, to get better sleep, to feel better. And um, I thank you so much for being with us. Unfortunately, we're at the end of this great show, so everybody out there knows what I'm going to say. Get out there, kids, and make it happen. I'm inappropriate.